0: and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Let's face it, over the last two or three years, we've had no shortage of bad news. COVID statistics, lockdown demands, rumours of war and then actual war, economic depression, soaring energy bills, political unrest, you name it, we've heard about it, we've focused on it. A steady, consistent diet of this surely creates an ongoing sense of sadness in us. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we need to bury our heads in the sand and ignore the challenges of our world. That would be selfish. We are called to be aware of what's going on around us, to pray into the challenges and to endeavor, with God's help, to be a people of light in the darkness But personally, I've decided to ration my intake of news because so much of what is bad, frankly, it's beyond my power to change it anyway. With all that in mind, I decided that tonight I would just share some utterly good news stories. Of course, the Christian gospel is the ultimate good news the word gospel means good news, the headlines of God's love, his care, sacrifice, and faithfulness. But this evening, as you join me for this show, I'd like you to sit back and soak up some real-life stories that I pray will warm and encourage your heart. Some good news stories here on Lucas on Life. Just good news. At one point, this city had the reputation of being America's most dangerous city with violent crime spiraling as a beleaguered police force fought a losing battle against drugs and guns. Flint, Michigan in the USA, is the subject of an eight-part Netflix documentary called Flinttown, which makes harrowing viewing. Mothers weep over the murdered bodies of their sons. Law enforcement officials openly confess their terror of going on patrol. Local politicians feud about who to blame. I can hear you thinking, where's the good news in all this, Jeff? Be patient, bear with me. In short, the city of Flint felt abandoned. It was abandoned. Once a thriving metropolis, the hub of General Motors manufacturing with a plant so massive it was called Buick City, A series of economic downturns threw some knockout punches to that community. And then a negligent engineering decision released lead into the city's water system, literally poisoning the population. The centre of the city looks like a war zone with dozens of boarded up homes and businesses. The school buildings are closed and rotting. And there are all the associated problems that come with poverty. "'My wife Kay and I had been to Flint on a preaching engagement. "'While we were there, we were invited to meet the sheriff. "'Images of John Wayne swaggering through the swing doors of a bar "'came to mind, but I resisted the temptation to greet him "'with a howdy, partner. "'With quick wit and a warm smile, "'Sheriff Chris organised a guided tour of the jail, "'which housed 630 inmates.' Kay and I then climbed into a police car and we were taken around the city. During the 55-minute ride, we saw a house burn down and respond to a report of a robbery that was in progress. We were dismayed as we slowly drove through the bleak streets, the sense of despair so heavy in the air. The greatest impact, however, came from the sheriff and his team. Good news coming here. He outlined his plans for a new educational system for the jail where every inmate would be issued with an iPad. Half of them were illiterate and desperately needed to learn the most basic skills. I'm proud of and I love my city, he said, his eyes bright. When we asked him about the source of his passion, he was emphatic. I became a Christian when I was 18, he said. My passion and joy comes from the Holy Spirit. The energy was infectious and was expressed by every police officer we talked to. I came away from Flint with a sense that the city was not abandoned, but that there are many who love it, and a lot of them are Christian believers. The early church made its mark without printing presses or social media. They were a brave lot, those first Christians, swimming against the cultural tide with their good news that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. They changed the world for the better as they rolled up their sleeves, staying behind when cities were hit by plagues, caring for the dying, risking their own lives in the process. In the Roman world, something called liberates was practiced. It was a reciprocal deal where one person could only give something to someone else provided that, later on, the favor would be returned. This arrangement worked rather well unless you were a widow or an orphan with nothing to bring to the table. But our Christian ancestors broke with conformity and gave freely without any hope of return. Good news people carrying the good news of the gospel in word and deed. The practice of freely giving continues. Across the United Kingdom, people are quietly making a difference as they volunteer in food banks debt counselling centres, street pastor programmes, and so, so much more. Just recently, I met a couple of 80-year-old ladies who put on orange tabars every Saturday night to brave the streets of their city. We carry flip-flops and blankets with us, one silver-haired lady said. The young people get so drunk in the clubs that they lose their shoes and coats, so they come out barefoot and freezing. That's where we step in to help them stay warm and share some love and kindness in Jesus' name. Those ladies have also endured some sharp-tongued criticism from an unexpected source, members of their own church who feel that they're not being overtly evangelistic enough. Some have even suggested that their presence encourages excessive drinking, two criticisms that beggar belief. The delightful gray-haired warriors soldier on regardless. Perhaps you are one of that vast good news army, and right now you feel tired and unappreciated. There are times when serving is the last thing you want to do. Let me just say this. Thank you. May you know God's strength and smile as you continue the great work. And if you ever think of a city called Flint, lift a prayer because the sheriff and his posse are in town and hope is making a comeback too as they live the good news. Airports are not my favorite places, which is unfortunate because over the years I've spent quite a lot of time in them. I don't mind flying so much, even though some in-flight food is surely created by demonised chefs, and one is occasionally required to play that culinary game, name that food, mainly because it's difficult to determine whether it's beef or chicken. Unlike the excited newbie traveller, the thrilled 10-year-old, or even that pencil-toting soul who goes plane-spotting, apologies to any pencil-toting plane-spotting souls who are listening in, I'm no longer joyous when I step inside a terminal. On the contrary. Airports, they're usually emotional black holes. Admittedly, there are a few happy folk to be seen, although some of them have smiles fueled by quaffing lager with their airport breakfast, a habit that surely is prohibited in Leviticus. Actually, it's not, but perhaps it should be. Dark Irish stout is not the ideal beverage to go with eggs and bacon at 7 a.m., Most people in airports are there simply because they want to be somewhere else, which affects their mood. And then there's the security screening, where you try to look relaxed while your hand luggage is being scanned because there's a remote possibility that a tactical nuclear warhead has been secreted alongside your laptop. One of my most least favorite moments comes when I have to remove my belt. I have a deep-seated fear that one day my jeans will fall to my ankles and I'll be hapless in a crowded security area, embarrassed beyond belief in my Mickey Mouse adorned boxer shorts. I could go on. There's all that rushing because, sadly, some airport officials tell fibs. Actually, they lie. The departure board flashes up the news that your flight is now boarding or, even worse, is now in the final last and final call process. The gate is a 20-minute walk away and so breathless and perhaps even muttering words not normally in the vocabulary of good Christian people, you arrive at the gate only to discover that the boarding process has not even started yet. You repent of muttering those words but then you feel something close to hatred for the person who issued the false boarding announcement and then you repent of feeling hatred and so it goes on. Sorry, there's more, because if you're flying a budget airline, you'll be required to line up according to the seat number on your boarding pass. If you're in seat B23, may the Lord have mercy upon you, if by accident, get in front of the person who is in seat B22. All in all, I'm usually glad when the time comes to exit the airport. I prefer arriving to traveling. But there was one particular occasion, however, when the sun came out in Denver Airport, Terminal A, and all because of a lady that Kay and I spotted. One of our hobbies is people watching and people listening. Sometimes we take this a little too far and refrain from conversation with each other so that we can tune in into the conversation of others nearby. Kay especially loves this with a birthday coming up. I'm planning on buying her surveillance equipment as a gift. As for the aforementioned lady, we first saw her on the swaying transit train that propelled us towards our gate area. Standing next to a rather nervous-looking family, she greeted them, all smiles, and wished them a happy flight. Just one warm comment from her seemed to calm their frayed nerves a little. Later, when we boarded an escalator, she stood behind us and smiled and joked, with a rather sullen-looking passenger, too, brightening up the 22nd descent. And then, to our surprise, she lined up for the same flight as us. Bearing in mind that Denver Airport normally has over 1,600 flights a day, this was quite remarkable. As she boarded, she profusely thanked the gate agent, who seemed surprised and thrilled at the appreciation. We took off and I popped a peanut in my mouth, unhelpfully adding to the dehydrating conditions of flying, and pondered her kindness, her goodness. It was then that I felt a nudge, perhaps from God, to encourage her if I could find her once we'd landed. My mind immediately recoiled at the notion. The lady might not welcome an approach from a random chap. My well-meaning intentions could end up as an example in a stranger danger public safety advice video. After we'd landed and disembarked the plane, she was nowhere to be found. Frankly, I felt relieved, off the hook from what I'd thought might be a mission from God. Down in the busy baggage claim area, I dutifully scanned the crowd, but in vain. And then I noticed that she was standing right next to me, talking on the phone. Suddenly, her carry-on bag fell over at my feet. This could be my moment. But she was still talking as I put the bag upright for her. She thanked me mid-call, grabbed her bags and headed away, and then stopped to look at her phone. Our luggage arrived, and we headed to walk past her, And that's when her bag fell over once more, again, right at my feet. So I plunged in nervously. Excuse me, I said. This might sound a little strange, but I'm a pastor. I thought that might make me sound a little safer, which may or not be the case. My wife Kay and I both noticed your repeated kindness back in Denver. It's so refreshing to see someone act like you do. I prayed that I'd have the chance to meet you and thank you. and so. Thank you. Her mouth fell open. She smiled broadly and then burst into tears, happy tears. After a brief chat, she hurried off to repair her ruined mascara. And I was left wondering had God performed some nifty choreography to enable that moment? You see, I'm wary of Christians who see God steering every detail of their life. I no longer pray for parking spaces, unless I desperately need one, feeling that the Lord of the universe has other things to deal with. But my faith in coincidences is limited. We often say that the devil is in the detail, but perhaps, just perhaps, God can be in the detail too. Did God set up that airport encounter? Possibly. Probably even. But this much is absolutely certain. Kindness, so wonderfully demonstrated by that smiling, gracious lady, can light up gloomier spaces. Kindness is an oft-overlooked characteristic of our God, who graced his old covenant people with loving kindness. The Apostle Paul, writing a letter to his friends in Ephesus, celebrated the God who has showered his kindness on us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 8 in the NLT. When we're kind, we're just a little more like God. Kindness often costs nothing except time and thought, but surely turns heads and hearts here on earth, and surely heaven watches and celebrates acts of kindness as well. Don't forget, I'd love to hear from you any comments or suggestions for the show. You can contact me at lucasonlife at Well, as we've been thinking about some good news, let's end first of all by reflecting on the ultimate good news, and that is that Christ is risen. He's preparing a place for us. We will be with him, and tears Sorrow and death will have all gone away forever. That good news is for you, for me, for us. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And because that is true, let's end our time praying especially for those for whom news has been less than good this week. As I said at the beginning of the show, we don't stick our heads in the sand and ignore the challenges. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you've called us to be a good news people. We pray especially for your people around the world who are struggling right now, for whom life is a challenge. May it be that the news of your faithfulness, your loving kindness, penetrates their hearts afresh. Make your presence known to them. Be the glory and the lifter of our heads. And this week, in each of our lives, whatever our circumstances, enable us by your Spirit to be a good news people. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. Lucas on Life